I left off last week saying that I would discuss some of Patrick Kelly's more controversial designs this week. If you're unaware, Patrick Kelly is a black man born in 1994 in Pittsburgh, Mississippi. 1954 was a notable year in the history of the United States. It was the year that Brown versus the Board of Education of Topeka was decided and that declared it was unconstitutional for states to have laws that racially segregated public schools. Mississippi, where Kelly is from, is located in the Deep South. The Deep South is a region of the United States that greatly depended on the forced labor of enslaved Africans from 1526 to build what would become the United States in 1776 and continued until 1865, which ultimately led to helping the United States to become the quote-unquote superpower that it is today. Welcome to Most Fashionable Crime, a fashion-related true crime podcast hosted by me, Taryn. Each season has a theme, and the theme of this one is house. To remain on trend, make sure that you're signed up for the newsletter, subscribe to the podcast on YouTube, and following the podcast on Twitter at Most Fashionable, and on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Most Fashionable Crime. Thank you so much to the people that support this podcast. If you would like to support too, there's a link in the notes, but you can also support Most Fashionable Crime for free. You can do that by sharing this podcast with friends and family, leaving it a five-star rating, in or a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, making sure that you're subscribed to the podcast wherever you're listening and downloading episodes, and also just listening and engaging on social media. While you're listening right now, share that you are to your Instagram or Facebook story. I'm really excited about this episode because this is my first video podcast. I'm trying this out just to see how I like it and how you guys react to it. So let's jump back into the episode. Racist imagery in the United States is largely associated with the Jim Crow era, which started with the abolishment of slavery in 1865 and kept going until around 1968. Jim Crow laws were local and state laws that enforced segregation by race. At this time, race was mainly considered to be colored or black and white. One of the reasons why racist imagery is associated with this time period, despite it probably dating back to when Christopher Columbus thought he discovered West India is because of Jim Crow, the minstrel show character, popularized by Thomas Dartmouth Rice. Minstrel shows were performances by mostly white people who would put on burnt cork or shoe polish on their faces, also known as blackface. Minstrel shows became very popular after the Civil War and with blackface came gollywogs. Gollywogs were created by a cartoonist and children's book author by the name of Florence Kate Upton. Upton kind of ran into writer's block while writing a children's book, and then she drew inspiration from her childhood blackface menstrual toy, which then became the gollywog. A gollywog is a doll or an illustration with exaggerated red lips, black skin, eyes surrounded by white and fuzzy hair, done in a way in an attempt to mimic the hair texture of people of African descent. Patrick Kelly, the late fashion designer covered in last week's episode, wasn't just known for his loud and elaborate buttons. He was also known for reclaiming this gollywog imagery in his designs, and a lot of people didn't know how to take that. Kelly was raised in Mississippi and experienced racism while growing up, and while he didn't complete his studies at Jackson State University, he did study Black history while attending the HBCU. Statements of all kind are made through fashion, and this was an interesting one to say the least. I really wish that his life was not cut short because I would love to know more about 
why he decided to reclaim this imagery. I've read some articles about it and I even read in an interview that he basically understood that a lot of people would not be happy with him using this imagery in his work. I think based on his heritage and upbringing, if he wanted to use this type of imagery in his designs, he had the right to. I think a lot of it was a matter of who was wearing it that would be called into question. And Warnerco, the company that Kelly had to deal with, prevented Kelly from being able to use the Gollywog image on their shop on his shopping bags, which I think was a good choice. I'm really excited about Dr. Eric Darnell Pitchard's book that will be released next year as the book on Patrick Kelly. I have a feeling that he will dive more into why Patrick Kelly chose to use the Gollywog image and reclaim it in his book. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about the racist imagery and designs that fashion houses have been called out fairly recently for using. First up is the Italian fashion house Prada. In December of 2018, Prada decided to put some of their Prada Malia on display in the windows of their store in New York City. I'm taking this excerpt straight from the Prada website. It says, Prada Malia, Prada's new family of mysterious creatures. Inside the imaginary futuristic Prada labs, a team of researchers set out to study Prada DNA that has proven to be so extraordinarily generative for over a century. The result of these experiences is Pratamalia, a family of mysterious tiny creatures that are one part biological, one part technological, and all parts Prada. The seven new creatures, Disco, Socks, Fiddle, Auto, Toto, Scuba, and Spot, each exhibit supernatural powers and a few glaring quirks. Raised in isolation within the austere confines of Prada Labs, each has a triangular Prada heart and a checkerboard pattern brain. Other product codes featured prominently in Pratamalia morphology include metal studs, ombre tones, polished wood, printed lips, and the iconic Sapiano leather. Having escaped the labs, the Pratamalia have arrived in Prada stores and at Prada.com in time for the holidays. If you keep up with fashion and retail, especially during the holiday season, you'll probably recognize that a lot of brands sell these random, ridiculously priced, gaudy, over-the-top, products during the holiday season. If you want more examples, just search Neiman Marcus The Christmas Book. The Prada Malia, aka the figurines that were on display in the stores in New York, reminded people a lot of and looked exactly like the Gollywog image that I mentioned earlier. This ignited social media after Chenny Ray Ezzi posted to Facebook on December 13, 2018 about how upset the figurines made her feel. The figurines were supposed to be monkeys, I am assuming. The arms, legs, and ears were silver. It had little white eyes with silver around them. The majority of the figurine was black and dark brown, and it was topped off with really big, really bright red lips. In my opinion, there's just no way that you could see this and not think of it being a racist caricature. Like a lot of brands that get caught up, Prada released a statement soon after this backlash. This was the press release. At Prada, we are committed to creating products that celebrate the diverse fashion and beauty of cultures around the world. We would like to convey our deep regret and sincere apologies for the Prada Malia products that were offensive. They have been removed from the market and will not be sold. The resemblance of the products to blackface was by no means intentional, but we recognize that this does not excuse the damage they have caused. Going forward, we pledge to improve our diversity training and will immediately form an advisory council to guide our efforts in diversity, inclusion, and culture. We will also examine the processes that led to such a product reaching the market in the first place. Everyone at our company, from the creative directors to the store managers, work hard to exceed our customers' expectations every day, which makes this reflection on our company all the more hurtful. 
Importantly, we have listened to the public and have decided to donate proceeds from these products to a New York-based organization committed to fighting for racial justice, which is a value that we strongly believe in. We will learn from this and we will do better. The person who made the Facebook post is actually a civil rights lawyer. She is a senior staff attorney at the Center for Constitutional Rights. According to NBC News, in January 2020, she filed a complaint to the New York City Commission on Human Rights. This commission enforces the city's human rights laws in housing and retail. Apparently, this was considered to be a landmark case because this was the first time that a brand was held responsible for their imagery. On February 5, 2020, the commission released a statement that included details of the negotiated settlement with Prada. I will read a portion of the statement. The settlement requires that Prada invest in restorative justice efforts to combat anti-Black racism and promote diversity and inclusion in Prada's business activities advertising and products. Prada will ensure that NYC employees and Milan executives receive racial equity training, develop a scholarship program for people historically underrepresented in fashion, with 90 days present the commission with resumes of candidates for a senior director level diversity and inclusion officer who will review Prada's advertising and products sold in the United States, as well as review and monitor Prada's anti-discrimination policies. Maintain Prada's Diversity, an inclusion council launched by Prada in February of 2019 with a minimum of three to five members for a period of at least six years with regular reporting by Prada on the council's progress to the commission. Consult with Dr. Joyce Brown, president of the Fashion Institute of Technology, who sits on the Diversity and Inclusion Council. What really got me about this was in the copy for Prada they mentioned how much they have researched. In fashion, when you're developing any type of product, you do a lot of research. And whether you have a mood board, photos for inspiration, whatever, a lot of times you are using a reference. So I would have loved to have seen what exactly the reference was for these inanimate objects. As you may know, a lot of people in these fashion design houses are not black. When this happened, I feel like I remember going through LinkedIn to see if there was anyone black working at Prada and I don't remember seeing one working um, in the design houses or, or at a high up level. It's just really hard for me to believe that this was just happenstance when this really does look so much like a gollywog. Another Italian luxury fashion house was also accused of invoking racist imagery in their designs, and this one was considered to have been blackface. This was done by a friend of the podcast, Gucci. In February 2019, keep in mind this is just a couple of months after the Prada incident, Gucci was selling an $890 sweater on their website. It was a black wool balaclava sweater. When pulled up, it covers half the face, just over the nose. It had a cutout around the mouth and around the mouth was red. But the sweater, the rest of the sweater was black. Alessandro Michele, the creative director of Gucci, said the inspiration of this Sweater was Ashley Lee Bowery, who was an Australian performer, club promoter, and fashion designer. McKelly sent an email expressing his sincerest apologies for the sweater to all 18,000 of Gucci's employees. Like Prada, they ended up pulling the product and then they issued a statement as well. The statement reads, Gucci deeply apologizes for the offense caused by the wool balaclava jumper. We can confirm that the item has been immediately removed from our online store and all physical stores. We consider diversity to be a fundamental value to be upheld, respected, and at the forefront of every decision we make. 
We are fully committed to increasing diversity throughout our organization and turning this incident into a powerful learning moment for the Gucci team and beyond. Dapper Dan, a black man who is a fashion designer and the owner of a haberdashery in Harlem, New York, had recently partnered with Gucci on a menswear line in 2017, a couple of years before this happened. Basically, Michele ripped off a design by Dapper Dan. Dapper Dan's design was a combination of a meat coat with leather Louis Vuitton sleeves that was worn by Diane Ditson. Gucci was called out for this as well, and Michele, along with the CEO of Gucci, Marco Bizzari, lent their support to Dapper Dan to create that partnership with Gucci. This partnership did not mean that Dapper Dan did not call out Gucci, and he called them out in a series of statements on Instagram. Part of the statement read, the meeting is over talking about a meeting that he had with Gucci representatives. It's time for Gucci to announce how they plan to make amends for what they did. So Gucci actually appears to have done a lot of steps to not absolve what happened, but to acknowledge it and ensure that it would not happen again. Gucci referred to it as cultural ignorance, and they put forth a diversity inclusivity awareness program. Gucci hired a global director for diversity and inclusion, and they had plans to hire global and regional directors for diversity and inclusion as well. And they would be hired in each of the house's regions who would report to the overall director. They also had plans to immediately hire five members to the design studio in Rome to help diversify the design process, I believe. I'm not sure how this is all working out years later, but we can just hope for the best. There was honestly a lot to choose from when I was trying to figure out what to do with this episode. But the last house I will be talking about is another friend of the podcast, Dolce & Gabbana. In the episode that I did earlier this season on Dolce & Gabbana, I mentioned that Stefano Gabbana was the one that is probably the most outspoken of the two. On November 21st, 2018, Dolce & Gabbana was due to present a fashion show in Shanghai. This show was supposed to be called The Great Show and it was supposed to be beyond elaborate. According to Vox.com, 500 lits were supposed to have been shown and the production cost millions of dollars. Those millions ultimately went down the drain after an ill-received marketing campaign. The campaign was a series of advertisements in which a Chinese model wearing a Dolce & Gabbana gown is sitting down at what appears to be a casual Chinese restaurant, attempting to eat Italian food dishes such as pizza, pasta, and cannolis with chopsticks. The narrator of this ad was also saying suggestive things. A lot of people called out these advertisements for being stereotypical. People were absolutely upset by this, but things took a sharp turn when Diet Prada, the fashion watchdog Instagram account, posted leaked messages of someone talking to Stefano Gabbana. This exchange was done via Instagram and allegedly Stefano Gabbana's Instagram account was hacked. I'm going to read some of the conversation with this allegedly hacked Instagram account, but I will link it in the notes if you want to see for yourself. So it appears that someone asked Gabbana why the advertisements were deleted and the allegedly hacked Gabbana responded by saying it was deleted from Chinese social media because my office is stupid as the superiority of the Chinese. It was by my will I never canceled the post. Whoever was behind Gabbana's account also went on to say, China, ignorant, dirty, smelling mafia, and we celebrate the dogs we cannot eat, but we love and we live with. As you can see why this clearly set things off. The show was canceled. Boycott Dolce Gabbana was trending. Chinese Dolce & Gabbana brand ambassadors broke off their contracts with a brand. And I believe that to this day, Dolce & Gabbana has not recovered their aging clientele back. According to an article written by Tom Stevenson, in 2017, 30% of Dolce & Gabbana's 
$1.7 billion came from the Asia-Pacific region. Stevenson also cited a report that said sales were down 98% in the first quarter of 2019 compared to the same period of the previous year. Fashion has had plenty of scandals when it comes to racism and cultural insensitivity. I really do hope that the future of fashion is inclusive and diverse and not just in a performative way. What I mean by that is not to just have tokens or people paraded around to show that you are diverse and that you are inclusive, but to do and be something. Is this the end of problematic scandals of fashion houses? Probably not. I also hope that people actually can back up their research that they claim to do and actually be more thorough about it. I feel like if these design houses become more diverse, if people implement the proper training and people actually abide by it, things can definitely change. Thank you so much for listening or watching this episode of Most Fashionable Crime. I hope you enjoyed it. Make sure that you are subscribed wherever you listen and subscribed on YouTube. If you haven't already, be sure to leave a five-star rating and a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. All of my sources are linked in the notes. In case you're wondering, this podcast was written, recorded, produced, and edited by me, Taryn. All the music you heard in this episode is provided by Epidemic Sound. 